Believe it or not, the Apostle Paul knew social distancing. Not COVID-19 and sheltering in place, not that kind, because people in the first century Mediterranean world, um, they knew nothing of viruses or bacteria or germs or anything like that. And in their worldview, if you were sick, it was probably the devil or some kind of demons. And I don't mean that he knew social distancing because he was a prisoner and wished to see them, the people in Ephesus, although that's true and we can relate because we feel like prisoners in some ways. Now, I'm thinking of another kind of social distancing altogether, and it applies to our situation, even if not the same, and his solution was baptism, which is, sort of needs an explanation. When I uh, taught worship at the seminary, baptism was always part of the curriculum. That's not to say that I did a tutorial on how to dunk people without dunking yourself in the process, although that would have been helpful, because my first baptism was one of the teenage girls in our youth group, and as I lowered her down into the water, everything was fine, and as I started to lift her up, I realized that a little circle of her nose and mouth had not quite gone under, and that just didn't seem right. So instead of just lifting her up, I decided she needed to go down a little further, but it was about this time that she decided she no longer needed to hold her breath. It didn't work out so well, but it counted. No, what I mean is that in worship class, we covered the variety of meanings associated with baptism in the Bible. And I think students were usually surprised that baptism could mean more than one thing. They, they kind of thought, well, if you look up the word, the Greek word, then you would know what it means. But the word just means going underwater. And so we looked at a whole list of meanings for this notion of baptism. So, for instance, even back in the Old Testament, there was a kind of baptism. When we were in Israel last year, several of us, we were taking tours, and we would occasionally come across these baptismal pools. In, the, in Judaism, they were called mikvah. It was a ritual bath, and people who lived in a very dirty part of the world, a desert with dirt and dust, they understood the value of cleaning. But as far back as the book of Leviticus, they, they associated this with not just cleaning your body, but there was a kind of cleaning of your soul or your spirit. If you came in contact with non-kosher foods, for instance, or something that was unclean, a person who was sick. You were ritually impure, so you would go down into this water. And the New Testament occasionally picks up that image and says, you know, baptism can be a sign of cleansing. There's another one. Early in the pages of the New Testament, when we see John in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. You remember John, John the Baptist, or more accurately, the baptizer, he had baptism in his name. I guess when he went to, you know, these conventions with other prophets, he'd write on his name tag, John the baptizer. But he was the one who preached a baptism of repentance in the wilderness. He said things like, if you have two coats and somebody else doesn't have one, you should share because hoarding, turns out, is a sin. And so he preached a baptism of repentance, of turning around and changing the way one lives. Another one that the New Testament speaks about is initiation, that the waters of baptism are how we come into the church, into the faith. 
When I was a kid, I would tag along every once in a while with my Roman Catholic grandmother to her mass. There was a lot of it that just sort of passed over me, but I remember being struck by the little bowls of water near the door, always near the door, how she and so many others would put their fingers into the water and then cross themselves. I had no clue what it was about, but later I learned it was a way of remembering your baptism and that you only come in through the waters of baptism. That's how you come into the church. When I taught those worship classes, I actually gave my assi- uh, students an assignment, an architectural one. They, they could suspend the laws of physics, so it was really more creative. But the challenge was this. Imagine and design a church that you come into through water. Maybe it's a bridge over some kind of stream, or maybe it's surrounded by a waterfall. But the idea was that they and the people in the congregation that they served would understand it. This is one of the ways we come into the church is through the waters of baptism. It's one of the meanings of baptism in the New Testament. And then there's Paul's magnum opus, his letter to the church at Rome, when he says, you know, baptism in a way is a kind of miniature version of death and resurrection. We go down into the waters and we are raised to new life. I love what uh, Will Willimon says. He says that when you join the Rotary, they give you a handshake and a lapel pin. When you join the church, we throw you in water and half drown you. That's a powerful image. It's very stark. I mean, you could ask that teenage girl about it. I I think she probably still tells her counselor about the guy who almost drowned her in the waters of baptism. But it's such a powerful image of coming back to life raised to new life. But this one in Ephesians 4 is different. Maybe you heard it in the reading. One Lord and one Spirit and one faith and one baptism. One baptism. The point here that Paul makes is not numerical as in one as opposed to two because I can tell you I've been baptized three times. (laughs) That's a story for another day. The point is not numerical, it's unity. It's like if a group of people were working on a project and they said, yeah, we figured it out, we were of one mind. They all had different brains, but they they came to see it together. That's the way Paul uses one here to refer to baptism. And this is his version of a solution for social distancing in his day. And what I mean is that it was socioeconomic. In the Roman Empire, the elites at the top, they, they dined in luxury, feasting high on the hog, as we might say, while the working class and the slaves made it possible. This was social distancing for Paul. And, and the way he sees it, this is what Christ has come to do. He, earlier in Ephesians, he says, He's broken down the wall. That's the image he uses. He's broken down the wall. And it seems to me that at least two things happen here. One is in the dining practices of Jesus. Jesus, he eats with anybody. He'll eat with a tax collector. He'll eat with a Pharisee. And his earliest followers, they kept that up. They broke down the walls. 
So in one way, it was eating that broke down the wall, and the other was in baptism. For Paul to come out of the waters of baptism was to break down the wall that created this distancing and to see everybody as one. This next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we were to baptize 18 youth who are going through pastor's class, and we will eventually. We'll reschedule that. And what Tyler asked those of us on the clergy staff to do was to come on our Wednesday night and to do a talk on different topics. The Wednesday night that I went, just a couple of weeks ago, I gave him a little quiz. I couldn't help it. I told him a story and said, see if you can find out what's wrong with this story. And the story went like this. So years ago, I was at this large church just worshiping, and there were baptisms taking place. And the minister doing it said, now, if any of you know Chloe, I'll just say Chloe, if any of you know Chloe, if you're family or friends with Chloe, wherever you're seated, if you could just stand right now. Please, if you're with Chloe, you just stand right now. And he did that with every single person. And before I could even say, okay, so what do you think's wrong with this situation? One of the youth shot his hand up, and without any hesitation, he knew he had the right answer. He said, everyone should be standing. Everyone is Chloe's family and friends. And I thought, oh my gosh, yes, ding, 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 you got it. That's exactly right. And here's the way I understand baptism, and I think the New Testament does. And it is nothing like high school graduation. You, you, you know how high school graduation goes. It's a kind of, kind of private affair that just happens to happen in the midst of a lot of people. As your name is called and you come up to get your diploma, your family, your friends, they clap, they embarrass you, they do whatever, but it's your moment and there are other people that will have their moment. But that's not the way baptism works. It's not a private moment in the presence of others. It's a public moment. It's, an, it's, it's a church moment. And the whole church celebrates that baptism. This is Paul's vision that we are made one in this baptism. For Paul, writing letters, that was his way of dealing with social distance. He, he literally couldn't be with them. He was in prison, and so he wrote letters. And I've been thinking... I wonder if not just now while we're sheltering in place, but if after this, if we might not rethink the word social, if we might not value it anew. We, we say the word social security as if it were my private savings account instead of my contribution to something that is supposed to support society. Or social media is so often seen as a kind of demonizing of the other and staying in your own camps, as opposed to a media that's supposed to promote some kind of sharing. A couple of years ago, I was invited to do a workshop at a seminary about halfway between Nashville and Chattanooga, Sewanee School of Theology. The occasion was a festival of preaching, celebrating the life of Fred Craddock, who had recently passed away. 
I rented a car in Nashville and was driving out there when I came across a highway sign that said Watts Bar Lake, next exit, and instantly my mind was taken back to a Fred Craddock story. I may have shared this story before, but as I told the pastors there, two things Fred taught me for sure about stories. One is it never hurts to tell it again, and the other was that you could, you could tell more than one story so here are two that I think are really meaningful to me and I hope to you in a time like this. Fred's first ministry position was a little church near Watts Bar Lake. And their tradition was to baptize on Easter Sunday, not Palm Sunday, and late in the afternoon down at the lake after the services. They would have a picnic and he and the candidates for baptism would wade out into the water, standing on the sandbar, and he would baptize them, and then they'd make their way back, and the congregation would receive the new members and, and put blankets around them, and they had made little tents for them to go into to kind of change clothes and then come and warm themselves by the fire. And then the tradition was that the longtime members of the church would form a circle around the new folks, and they would go around and introduce themselves like this. My name is, and if you ever need a ride into town. My name is, and if you ever need someone to sit with the sick. My name is, and if you ever need someone to fix your car. My name is, and Fred could not get over the power of this moment. And they had a name for it. He'd heard this word before, but, but their name for that was church. That was church. The second story happened when Fred and Nettie were living in Oklahoma and were members of a church there. On this particular Sunday, he was just in the pew, but afterwards needed to scurry out to catch a plane and go somewhere. So he decided to cut through the back where the choir robes and practices those songs for Sundays. And there was a woman there who greeted him, and he could tell something was wrong. And so he asked, and she said, I'm quitting. He thought maybe she was retiring from the choir or something like that. But she said, no, I'm quitting this thing called church. And he said, why? I mean, why are you quitting church? And she said, it's just not like it used to be. Nobody really cares about each other like they used to. And he said, I, I go to churches all over the country all the time. People, they, they still care. And she said, I don't know. And he, he said, no, they do. And she said, name one. <laughs> it makes me think. Occasionally I run into people who say something like that, maybe on the golf course or at a coffee shop. They learn I'm a pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah, we used to. I, you know, but church, they act like, like it used to be like Mayberry, and now we're just too busy and we don't care about each other. But I think they're wrong. I've never had one of them ask me, well, name one. But if they ever do, I'm wondering, may I give them your name? May I use your name? Amen.